0: This morning, we're going to continue in Acts. So if you guys remembered, um, in the sequence of Acts, we're going to be in Acts 2. If anyone, if you don't have a Bible, would you raise your hand and we can get you a Bible. Um, This morning, we're actually going to look out how important the Word of God is in part of this. Um, But as you guys are turning there or thinking on it, I want to ask you a couple questions to start. So if you're taking notes, write down these questions, uh, write down your answers, so you even, you even know what, what you're thinking. I know when I write, I process a lot better. So first question, why do we go to church? Just, just take a minute to think about it. And then second question, why do we do what we do at church? Um, so... Kind of some context, a little little recap of what we just went over. Um, we know the Book of Acts was written by Luke. Uh, he was a physician. So I wrote down Luke hashtag Doctor Luke. If you guys know what I'm saying, um, it's the beginning of the early church. So uh, the Holy Spirit has just fallen at Pentecost and um, has empowered Christians to go do the work that He has given for them to do. And as we move forward, we're going to see the result of Pentecost. So these guys are saved. The Holy Spirit falls on them. They're empowered to do something. And then now we see kind of what's next, what, what happens. And many have called this passage we're going to go over today, um, the foundations of the church, as well as the foundation of the Christian life. So we're going to look at that. Um, if you guys want to flip with me to Acts chapter two, man, I turned, told you guys to turn there and I'm not even there. So sorry. So Acts chapter 2. Um, yeah, so like I said, we see the amazing work that God does at Pentecost when all these people um, are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And next comes the application of what's going to happen follow following that. And it's kind of cool because this applies to all of our lives as well. So if we're Christians here this morning, if we're disciples of Jesus, God has saved us. And he's done this amazing work within us of bringing us from death to life. Of changing our eternal destiny from hell to heaven and now he gives us application to walk in as well. So we're going to see how this exactly applies to us. And it's super applicable. So it's really cool. So let's start on uh, verse 42 and we're going to go through verse 47 Acts 2. So it says and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship And to the breaking of bread and prayer. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in the homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So let me pray again as we get started. Lord, we thank you for your word, God. We thank you that you've given it to us, um, Lord. I pray this time your Holy Spirit, which has come and fill this place. Lord, I pray you'd speak to each and one, of, every one of us individually. God, um, speak through me. I have nothing to give of myself, so I just ask that you would um, just reveal yourself here, Lord, and that none of us would leave the same this morning, that you would do a work in all of our heart. Lord, uh, thank you so much again for Jesus and all that you've done for us. In your name I pray. Amen. So I'm going to break this passage into three parts, if you're taking notes. Um, the first part is a relentless devotion to the knowledge of God we see that in verses 42 through 43. The second part is a selfless devotion to the people of God. And that's in 44 and 46. And then the last part is an active commitment to the mission of God. And that's verse 47. So let's read 42 through 43 again. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done. To the apostles. So the first thing we see is they devoted themselves, right? And this brings me to my first point, guys. Our devotion is going to always determine our direction. So, what do I mean by that? About? Whatever we do, what we devote ourselves to, is going to lead how we go. Um, this word in, in the Greek, in the actual language it was written, it means that they continue devoting themselves to. And I think that's a good. Um, Good definition of devotion. You continue to do it. So they continue to do these things. Um, let's see. So th- let's think about it. Uh, devotion. How would you define devotion? You don't have to say it out loud. Just think in your, think in your head. I thought, I thought of a pro athlete, right? Um, no pro athlete is playing professional sports by sitting on the couch watching Netflix and eating a bunch of potato chips. That's, that's not how, unless you're like, professional TV watcher or something. Um, The same's true with us spiritually, though. We can't expect to know more about God and draw closer to him if we're not doing anything to pursue and to to walk closer with him. James 4, 6, um, James writes, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So now now Luke's going to give us some practical ways that the church did that, and we can do that as well. So the first one is by the apostles' teaching. So what is apostles' teaching? Um, apostles were some of the guys that, that met Jesus. Uh, it, it means ones who are sent. But the apostles' teaching specifically is what we call today the Bible. Um, back then, they didn't have the whole New Testament written like we do. But what they had, they devoted themselves to. They were, all, they were doers of the word of God. And James it also tells us to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. And I think, I know, I mean, as I was reading this passage, I was super convicted in my life um, that it's easy to just hear the Word of God, especially being at Bible college. I sit in classes about the Word of God all day, and then to walk out and just like not do anything about it. This is an area the early church definitely had us beat. Um, Today we have the whole Bible, and we like to pick like bits and pieces for us to do. But back then, they just had little parts, and they devoted their whole life to it. So this made me think, why, why did they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching? And I came up with three practical reasons. There's probably a lot more, but it's just some three normal ones. So one, they actually believed that it was the word of God to them. Um, I think sometimes it's easy to just have our Bible and forget that it, it's God's word, and he's written it to us. Um, and, and their actions proved that they believed it. As we look at church history, every single one of these guys, except for one, but he was, he was pretty beaten up, died a gnarly, gruesome, horrible death. And I don't know anyone who's, who's going to go die for something and they don't really believe it. So these guys actually believed that this was God's word to them. The second one is that they were desperate for the Lord. Uh, this is something I have to ask myself throughout the day continually, but how about this morning? Are you guys desperate for the Lord here this morning? And they continued in it. They knew they needed it daily. It's important for us to realize that we need the Word of God. God's Word is truth, and it has authority over our lives, and we're to live our lives under that authority. because we live in such a, a culture and a day that's constantly lying to us. We even have false news. People throw out lies just just to be funny or cool or something. But we need to know the truth. I used to work at a bank, and um, every every employee, employee, they would give a $100 bill to, and they would tell us to study that $100 bill because it was the real one. And so when a fake one came in, we knew what the fake one looked like. And the same is true in our lives. We need to study the Word of God we know what the truth is. So when lies come in, we can, we can figure it out. We can say, no, that's not true. As opposed to, like, trying to figure out what all the lies are. We just need to know the truth of what God says. And number three, grab a drink real quick, maybe. So number three, they understood their continuous need for Jesus. Um, we see the whole Bible is a book written about Jesus, and this is one of the biggest misconceptions people have in reading the Bible. We need to understand that the Word of God, the Bible, is for us, but it's not necessarily about us. Uh, many people read the Bible and instantly insert themselves as like the hero of the story, which is the wrong way to read it. Think of, think of David and Goliath, right? Right? So many people read the story of David and Goliath and they think of themselves as David and whatever struggle or hard thing going on in their life is Goliath. And so they think, okay, I need to figure this out. How am I going to do this? I get my five stones and I need to figure out how to go slay this giant. And guys, listen, this is the wrong way to read it. It only sets us up for failure. Because what happens when, when we throw our stone and it misses? What do we do then? And you may say, okay, Matt, listen, I got five stones. I'm a- guys, you'll miss all five. What happens with all, all of our power, with all of our effort, with all of our might, we aren't able to slay the giant. Now we have guilt, shame, frustration. Are you guys with me? On, is it only me? Or you guys understand what I'm saying? But, but the picture of David and Goliath, the way we're supposed to read the Bible is actually what Colossians talks about as a picture of Christ, in which God was communicating to Israel that a Savior would come and that he would destroy and slay Satan, sin, and death once and for all. So when we read it and understand that we're not David, but rather Jesus is David, and that Goliath is sin and death, that means we're Israel, who's actually freaking out, crying in the corner. But it also means that we're able to walk in the victory that Christ has provided for us. When we read it and understand that we don't overcome the giant, but that God has made provision for us in Christ who already overcame the giant, it frees our hearts to worship as opposed to worry. So we have to have this correct perspective of reading the Bible as the early church did. We need to read it in a way that we see Jesus that causes our hearts to worship. Martin Luther, has anyone heard the Reformation? You guys are all in school, right? So this Halloween is going to be the 500th anniversary of the the Reformation. But Martin Luther once said this. Uh, He said, Scripture is the manger in which Christ lies. As a mother goes to the crib to find her baby, so the Christian goes to the Bible to find Jesus. We need to be careful that we don't just look at the crib and forget to worship the baby. So when we, when we read the Bible to see Jesus, it makes reading God's Word an act of worship as opposed to just a chore. So that's the first one. They they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the reading of the Word. Next one's fellowship, through gospel-centered fellowship. So what is fellowship? This is a term we use a lot in the church, right? Uh, yeah, we had a sweet time of fellowship today, and it's kind of like, okay, I don't even know what that means. Um But fellowship, so I looked it up, it it literally means a group of people who pursue a shared interest or aim. They, They share something in common. So fun fact, actually, God has always known fellowship. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit have been fellowshipping since before eternity's past. And when we partake in fellowship, it's something that we get to join through the family of God and join God in. So there's a huge difference between fellowship and friendship. Friendship is, is sharing life with something, someone, and it's good, but fellowship is sharing Jesus. And friendship is something we can have with anyone, but fellowship is something we can only have with other Christians. The cool thing is, though, with Christians, we can have friendship and fellowship. Um, and... It just goes on to later, or to remind us that the Christian life is not meant to live alone. We need to have Christian friends around us, people who love us. They're gonna encourage us and pour into our lives. One of the enemy's greatest tactics he can use is to try to isolate us and get us by ourselves. And again, this is the complete opposite of what culture tells us this day. We live in such an independent day. Where if you can't do things by yourself, you looked on weak and unsuccessful. Um, but we need to realize that's not what God says, and that's not God's definition of success. And as Christians, we want to live our life to please God as opposed to the world. And so we should be living our life in fellowship with God and with fellowship with one another. We should be sharing Christ with one another, coming alongside and encouraging and loving one another. So first, we see they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. To fellowship. Third, we see the breaking of bread. And this is a reference to communion, which we're going to have in a little bit. Um, and what Jesus did with his disciples before he died, he broke bread with them and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then they took the wine. He said, this is my, my blood. Um, and like I said, we're going to talk about it in a little bit later, but they, they took communion, which is important because It shows that they never wanted to forget what Jesus had done for them. And we'll come come back to that, like I said. So first they wrote themselves apostles teaching to fellowship, breaking the bread, and prayer. Prayer is one of the coolest things, but I think also, like, most confusing things and most misunderstood things. Whenever we see God's work done, we always see God's people praying few things to know about prayer. Um, prayer should be a delight. We have the opportunity to talk to the God of the universe who created everything, knows everything, loves us more than we can even imagine. And it should be this two-way conversation. A lot of times we make it a monologue where we're just like, okay, God, this is what I want, this is what I need, here's what I need to do. Um, and we don't ever take time to listen to what the Lord has for us or just listen um, and so it should be this two-way, two-way conversation, and it's an amazing privilege. I know I take it for granted, but the, the, like I said, the fact that we can even talk to the God of the universe should blow our minds. Second, that there's power in prayer. Um, I think it was Spurgeon. He's like an old dead guy, one of my favorite pastors. He says the devil fears a man who is praying way more than a man who is preaching. So you guys could be in your seats right now praying, and the devil fears that way more than me standing up here who's even talking. And it's pretty cool because most of us will never have the opportunity to preach to thousands of people or like lead like a Billy Graham or Greg Laurie type of crusade, but every minute of every day, we have the opportunity to pray, unless we're sleeping, and then it's just kind of like, whatever, you can throw that off. But... We always have the opportunity to pray, and there's so much power in it, and we need to believe that there is power in it. Next, we also see about prayer is that there's great humility in it. What matters most in prayer isn't what comes out of our mouth, but it's the position of our heart. James 4, 6 tells us that God opposes the proud, but that he gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you guys, but I need all the grace I can get. We should approach God in humility. And how's this done? It's simply done by remembering who God is, remembering who we are, and then going out and living and acting on who we are. Next thing, number four, prayer changes things. James 4.3 tells us also, you have not because you ask not. So what does this mean? Basically, it implies that, that if we would have asked, maybe we would have had according to the will of God. Uh, we need to understand that prayer doesn't change God, but it does change our circumstances. It changes us. Uh, I don't know exactly how this works, and I don't think I could unless I was God, but it's an amazing thing that God does, and when he He works through prayer to have his will played out through the, through the world and, and in our lives. Um, so like I said, we said prayer changes things Two things in particular, it changes our situations, changes the things around us, and it changes us. Jesus even tells us to pray for our enemies, or to love our enemies, and to pray for those who persecute us. And don't get me wrong, I'm right there with you guys. It's, it's hard to pray for someone you hate. Guys, but it's even harder to hate for someone you pray for, because God does this amazing work inside of us. And listen, if you get if you get anything out of prayer, remember this. And I, I was taking a prayer class this semester, and my teacher said this like every class. He just continue saying it. He says prayer isn't just getting something from God, but it's just simply getting God. And as Christians, as people who want to live our life under the authority and to worship God, talking to Him, spending time with Him, getting more of Him, should be something we want to do constantly. There's an old dead guy. His name's Leonard Ravenhill and in this book, Why Revival Tarries, he said this. You guys, this is fire. Uh, He said, no man is greater than his prayer life. He says, the pastor who's not praying is plain. The people who are not praying are strained. He says, in the church today, we have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, but few prayers. We have many singers, but few clingers. Lots of pastors but few wrestlers we have many fears but few tears much fashion yet little passion he says we have many interferes but few intercessors many riders but few fighters and in the book he goes on to say that failing here we fail everywhere because what would our life look like if we believed in the power of prayer if we believed that God could do amazing things through the act of us just praying and asking him to do so So, so far we see the devotion of the people, and now we're going to see the result of it. So, verse 43, it says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So, awe came upon every soul. guys. when we truly see the Lord for who he is, it leaves us in awe of him. How many of you guys remember that time where you're just in awe of the Lord? Isn't one of those like amazing, peaceful, like mind-blowing times? I, I love like when the Lord just meets me and I can just sit in awe of how amazing and great He is. want you guys think for a moment? What would what would the church look like? What would Vista look like? What would Hope's Anchor look like if we all had an amazing awe for the Lord? I'll quote quote David Savio. He was teaching one of my classes this week, and he said. How many guys watch Stranger Things this week? Yeah, he said he, like, binge-watched it all night the other day. And he said, Stranger Things has some pretty strange things in it. He said, but what's even stranger is tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, but then departing and not wanting to sit and spend more time and love the Lord. Man, David, that's, he's a crazy guy. but He's pretty cool. So the early church understood how big God was and believed that he could do big things. I think sometimes we just make God too small in our lives. We try to fit him into this area or just this one part, but God wants to have our whole life. He wants to do everything through us. Verse 44, we can continue. He says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Here we see the church is unified, and it's sad to see today there's the church becomes so divided over little, stupid things. I don't know if I can stay stupid up here, but stupid things. Um, and it kind of goes back to the fellowship aspect. They don't understand that they have Christ in common, so they look for everything uh, that's different instead of the similarities. Remember someone saying that, that non-believers should know what Christians are about more than they should know what Christians are against. And I think it's so true. A lot of people just think Christians, these people who are against drugs and against sex and against, like, all these different things. But they don't know what we're for. So here we see they're divided. And they go and start selling their things so that they could help other people out. Notice that the unity here is a result first of their vertical relationship with God. So they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to breaking the bread, to fellowship, these things they did with God. And then out of it, flew their horizontal relationship with others, and it was unity. So gospel-centered fellowship and unity is always a result of our vertical relationship with God. Our vertical relationship then impacts our horizontal relationship with others. So continue verse 44 through 46. Um, and they had and that all who believed were brought together and had these in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings distributing them to all who had need and day by day attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes and receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. Like I said, their, their generosity and love for one another, they were, they were there. they were trying to they were loving on each other, they were helping each other out. And something's cool with that is that I think they, they realized, that everything they had was the Lord's. And I think that's something we forget too. Like, if we have something, it's because the Lord has given it to us. And so it's not really ours, it's still the Lord's, but he's entrusted it to us to use for his glory and use for, for other things, whether it's our possessions, whether it's our talents, whatever it should be, we should be using it to glorify God and to reflect him back. And to continue, verse 47, they're praising God And having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So they're praising God. Here we see the motivation of their giving. So they came alongside, they were helping each other out, they were giving. But why? They were doing it out of praise to God. Um, Pastor Rob was talking this morning about worship. And so often we just make it a time where we sing songs, but it's supposed to be a lifestyle. It's supposed to be the whole lens we live our life under. And here we see that they were doing that, that they were worshiping God, but they were worshiping God by giving to others who had needs. And in this verse, we also see the active devotion to the mission of God, the mission of God of seeking out sinners and saving them. The Lord added to the number daily those who are being saved. And notice who added here, guys. is God. And I think sometimes we forget that God saves. We, we go share the gospel and we do things, but ultimately God's the one who saves people. We need to understand that we don't save anyone but that God does. And we need to be a bunch of hungry people just pointing other hungry people to where the bread is at. So it's this, God does the job of saving. The Holy Spirit does the job of convicting. And we're supposed to do the job of loving. Uh, And in John, Jesus tells the people, his disciples, he says um, that you will, or he's talking to others, but he says that you will know they're my disciples by their love for one another. So does our love point to our discipleship under Jesus? So if we take care of loving God and the example that he sets out for us, then he's going to be the one who takes care of growing the church and building it. Matthew 16, 8, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Because we can't stop the will of God or the plan of God, because God's going to do what he's going to do. And Satan's been trying to do that for thousands of years, and he's failed. But what we can do is get on board and be a part of that. You guys may be thinking, all right, Matt, this is great. I understand what you're saying. Devotion, It's awesome. But, but look, I've failed. My devotion isn't there. My commitment's not where it needs to be, or at least what we see here. And honestly, I have to admit, I'm right there with you guys. I failed daily in my devotion to the Lord. Um, there's, there's times where I, I don't even, I spend the whole day without going to the word of God or in a prayer, and I'll just like sit there like, okay, what am I, what am I doing today? Uh, honestly, don't feel qualified at all to teach this passage to you guys. There's, like, different, like, theological things I like explaining, but then when I have to teach on, like, prayer or, like, other things, I'm like, oh, man, like, I'm totally unqualified to do that because I don't feel like I'm even good enough. So what do we do? So if you guys are, like, there with me, what do we do in these situations? Well, first, we have to start by being honest with ourselves, right? We have to Take away that fake mask of our lives are good and we have everything together. We need to be honest before ourselves. We need to be honest before God. We understand that we can't do it in our own strength. And we have, to, we have to admit that. So we're honest with ourselves. Then what do we do? Then we reflect and we meditate on God's amazing commitment to us. Notice that the devotion and the commitment that God had when he left heaven to come down to earth and to save every single one of us. Guys, Jesus literally loves you guys to death. Just think about that. I I said it last time I taught, but God will never love you any more or any less than he does right now. It doesn't matter what you did last week. It doesn't matter what you did last night. God's love for you guys never changes. And commitment and devotion has to start with God. Ephesians 1 tells us that God has chosen us, and the whole story of the Bible is God's great rescue mission to come down and to save us. Time and time again, we see people running away from God, and God consistently pursuing them and relentlessly committing and devoting himself after them. And Our only logical response when we see that and we notice that in the Bible is to devote ourselves and commit ourselves back to him. So it's not us mustering up all the strength to do it, but it's us reflecting on how amazing God is and realizing it and walking in and out through it. And listen, we're going to fail. And when we do, we learn to fall forward. We don't fall back. We fall forward and we get back up and trust in God's promises. 2 Timothy 2.13 says that if we are faithless, that even he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Guys, God does not regret saving you. Sometimes we get this idea that I've messed up and, and God, I know you love me because you have to, but I, you, you obviously have to regret it in some way. And He doesn't. There's no sin that we commit that's greater than the cross of Christ. And so today I want to give you the opportunity to reflect and to meditate on God's devotion to us. So what do we do? So far today, we've devoted ourselves, we're here, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, right? We're all in one mind. We're all in the mind of Christ. We share Christ together. In prayer, we prayed this morning, and now I want to give you guys an opportunity to devote yourself to the breaking of bread. Um, we're going to, if Salem wants to come back up, we're going to do one song of worship, and during this time... I want you guys to just sit, to pray, and to reflect and to meditate on how great God's devotion and commitment is to us. We have an amazing God, and I think sometimes we make him too small or too boring, but God isn't small. He's not boring. So what we're going to do, we're going to play one song. just just spend some time in prayer, thanking the Lord for continually chasing after us, continually loving us. Um, if you know the Lord, great. Continue praying, thanking God. If you don't know the Lord, man, cry out to him. Ask him to save you. The Bible says, I mean, he's relentlessly pursuing us. He's chasing after us. And maybe it's the time this morning where you're like, all right, God, I, I noticed that you've been chasing after me and that you love me, and it's fine. I give in. I, I-, I want to be saved. So cry out to God. Ask him to save you. And so we're going to spend some time in prayer. And then when you guys are ready, come up, grab some grape juice and cracker, and then um, don't take it yet, though. Um, Sit down, continue praying, and then when Selah finishes the song, we'll all come together.